that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. We're doing more position group previews. Guess what? Special teams, baby. We're talking punting. We're talking kicking. But we also threw the safeties in. So you got some Josh Proctor, Marcus Hooker talk coming your way. Me, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird on that. But first, we're going to talk a little recruiting. Please make sure you go back and listen to the Monday podcast where Stephen Means and Cam Fields broke down the 2022 recruiting class. It was really good, really fun, really interesting. And if you're not steeped in 2022 Ohio State recruiting knowledge, you will be after that. But big addition in 2021 happened Sunday. We didn't try to squeeze it in to the Monday pod, but we got to talk about it here. Because, Stephen, you know, when Devonta Smith decommitted, I was kind of like, listen, man, that's not a great decommit. You know, yeah, everybody thinks there's some secret plan, but you got to wait till it happens. They got a top 100 kid that they flipped from Clemson. Kind of worked out. Kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, big deal. As, as I've already written, you know, this is Ohio State. This is another area where Ohio State has kind of struggled with holding on to these top 100 cornerbacks. And obviously they had Jacqueline Johnson already in the class. And so now you got the second guy in Jordan Hancock, the number 77 player, number six cornerback in the class. Last time they got two top 100 cornerbacks, Jeff Okuda and Sean Way, who were the number one and number two cornerbacks in the 2017 class and Jeff Okuda was just the number three pick in the draft and John Wade's probably going to be a top 10 pick next year. So 2021 is almost in 2020 have kind of been these years of getting, obviously you've had top five recruiting classes, but also you've gotten some positions back on track in terms of getting some of these high level guys to commit to you. Now the question is, can they hold on to them? Obviously they had Clark Phillips in 2020, but they couldn't hold on to them when Jeff Halfley left. Can they hold on to these guys? through signing a and actually get them on campus. But big-time big, big time pickup, it's never good to lose an Ohio kid, especially to Alabama. Yes, that's a big deal. But to replace it with a top 100 kid who you flipped from Clemson, that's a pretty big deal as well. Clemson, for a while there, had a stretch of, like, having no decommits. They mm-hmm. were on this run where it was like they got kids and they locked them in. And it feels like they had Corey Foreman decommit. Now they had Jordan Hancock decommit. Uh, I think it's what happens when you run with the big dogs a little bit, that we know that Clemson was winning at a high level without recruiting at the highest, highest level. They now are recruiting at the highest, highest level. They're still the number two team in this. No. No, they're not. What's Clemson now? Did they drop? They have dropped significantly. They're at number nine now. Alabama, who might get another commit on Wednesday as well, and Damon Payne, the number one defensive tackle in the country, is up to number two now with 15 commits and 269 points. But Clemson, so Clemson's feeling this. This is this is life in the big city, as Urban Meyer would say, right? But I don't know. Some people are are trying to use what is happening in society and the way, for instance, that Ohio State has re- reacted to the Black Lives Matter movement compared to how Dabo Sweeney has reacted to it. We do know some recruits have made note of that. Ohio State and, and other programs certainly seem to have been maybe more open to that, possibly than Clemson has been. I don't. I'm not going to put Jordan Hancock on that, but it just felt like Stephen, from the outside looking in, that this was a kid who had relationships with some Ohio State recruits that was always interested in Ohio State, and that though he was committed to Clemson, he never really shook his Ohio State interest, right? Yeah, committed in March, and if you talk to any of these commits, it's as if he wasn't committed anywhere, and they were still recruiting them hard. 
you know, talking to him through social media, playing video games together and doing everything and such. And so when he did decommit last Tuesday, you just kind of saw the entire class go into a frenzy of, we know something that you don't know, even though we all knew what was probably going to happen next. But, yeah, he committed to Clemson, but I don't think anybody in the, at Ohio State or in this class thought that that recruitment was anywhere near over, and they all kind of felt by signing day he was going to be a Buckeye. So, again, a Georgia player, always good to go into Georgia. I mean, he's committed to Clemson, but also, you know, this could, could be going to Georgia. This could, could be mm-hmm. going to Alabama. They pulled him out of SEC country. Number 77 overall player, as you mentioned, I think he's 10th in Ohio State's class, which, again, just goes into how deep this class is. But do we have to mark this one up a little bit for Travion Henderson, number 16 overall player, number one running back in the country from Virginia, just seems very invested in helping close out this Ohio State class at the highest level? Yeah, there are three guys in this class who are probably the go-to recruiters. Obviously, Travion Henderson, because he's the number one running back in the country. And the whole idea of them possibly being the highest rated class of all time, that started the moment he committed. And it kind of opened everybody's eyes, not just from our standpoint as media, but them as players as well. So it starts with them, but also Jalen Johnson, as a defensive back, just has a great relationship with a lot of these guys. And so he was one of the first people who was – on Jordan Hancock hard even after he, he could, after he committed to Clemson. And then Ben Chrisman being the third guy to join the class, he's always been, you know, for the sake of what C.J. Hicks is in 2022, Mr. Buckeye to this class. And the moment he committed, he started recruiting other guys. So those three guys are the three – you see them as – Ben Chrisman just put out a, a graphic today that with on Sunday with Tristan saying he wanted Tristan Lee and Emeka Ibuka to join the class as well. So those three guys are – the most vocal when it comes to recruiting other top players in the country to come along. Ben Christman's a little nuts on this, man. I mean, he is, he is, he says he has this tweet out that went out Monday morning, happy to announce my official campaign to recruit Emeka Abuka and Tristan Lee to the Ohio state university. I ask that you please tweet out hashtag Mecca to Columbus and hashtag Tristan to Columbus to help out my campaign and Tristan Lee retweeted that with hashtag yep. Go Buckeyes, which Ben Crispin then immediately retweeted. I mean, sometimes there's behind-the-scenes stuff going on. It feels like with this Ohio State recruiting class, there's behind-the-scenes stuff, and there's in-front-of-the-scenes stuff, and Ben Crispin is going hard after these guys. Again, Agbuka, a receiver from Washington, Tristan Lee, an offensive tackle from Virginia. It's fascinating to watch, isn't it, Stephen? Confident class. This is a – obviously you know, things are never set in stone until people make commitments and start signing, but this is a confident class and it starts with a guy like Ben Christman who, yeah, if you're starting to make hashtags about five-star recruits as if you're just a random fan and not a guy who's actually going to be in the class with them, this is a confident class. And I think they know who they want and who they're able to get. And it starts with guys like that along with JT Tumalau out of Washington as well. So part of the issue for Clemson is that they don't have as many guys right now. They have 13 mm-hmm. commits right now. Again, as Steven mentioned, number nine overall in the total points. But there are three teams kind of pulling away. Ohio State's been pulled away. But there are three teams when it comes to average star ranking. Ohio State's number one overall in total points for the class. They have 19 commits. Their average star ranking is 94.93. Alabama is has 15 commits, so four fewer than Ohio State. Their average star ranking is 94.18. 
and Clemson has 13 commits. That's six fewer than Ohio State. Their average player ranking is 94.16. So Bama, 94.18. Clemson, 94.16. Ohio State almost at 95. Total points, because again, Ohio State's up at 19 commits, and they have four five-stars and 12 four-stars. So 16 of the 19 are at least four-star commits. Total points, Ohio State more than 305, Bama's next at 269. So they ha- Ohio State has a big lead. Bama's coming. Clemson's fading a little bit. They'll come back. But when you add, again, we, they, we have these five stars that are out there, but you flip a top 100 kid from the team that you just lost to in the national semifinal, it's a big win. It's a big win for Ohio State any way you want to talk about it. Before we get out of here and get to our position group breakdown, um, basketball recruiting that we want to check in quickly because, Stephen, Wednesday, big basketball recruiting news could be coming for the Buckeyes. What is it? Yeah, another kid out of Ohio, Malachi Branham, St. Vincent St. Mary, same high school as LeBron James, obviously still coached by Drew Joyce over there in Akron, Ohio. He'll be making his decision. Every crystal ball leans towards Ohio State, adding him as well, which would give them the top three guys in the state of Ohio, and which I think is an Ohio class, almost mirroring what the football team has done. And they've went in and they've claimed every single one of the top players within their own state. The basketball team is doing that as well with Michi Johnson, who's just now getting back onto the court and looks like he's fully recovered from that ACL tear. Him and Kalen Etzler. We're playing together over the weekend. Taylor Edson, the number 90 player in the country, number 21 power forward, and Meechie Johnson, the number 89 player, number six combo guard in the class. Adding in now a guy who's a number 27 player and a number five shooting guard in the class, which will probably finish out what will be a three-man class. But, yeah, it seems like both Ryan Day and Chris Holtman have made a point that they see that there's top 100 guys in their backyard, so let's lock those guys in instead of, and then we can worry about going all over the country and finding some top guys of, working around that, but let's start in our backyard. Who who else is in on this guy that Ohio State is trying to hold off to lock down this commitment? Yeah, Alabama, Louisville, Xavier, Baylor. He's got 10 10 other offers, but it just seems like it's between Ohio State, Alabama, and Xavier at this point. Okay, so it sounds like you're you're saying it sounds like it's going to be good news for Ohio State on Wednesday. That's the expectation. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, that's our recruiting update. Special teams and safeties coming next in our recruiting breakdown. Wednesday, Michigan preview. Week 12, again, they're not going to play 12 regular season games anymore. We did 12 regular season previews because we started it so long ago. Aaron McMahon from MLive.com, he will join us. Then Nathan, Stephen, and I will have an hour of rapid fire Ohio State-Michigan questions. That's Wednesday. A couple other position group previews later in the week as – you know, if there's news that's happening with the season or the coronavirus or whatever, we'll, we'll certainly drop in and, and offer some stuff on that. But we have some good podcasts lined up for you this week on Buckeye Talk. And I just want to let you guys know, we are hitting numbers with our listens on Buckeye Talk that are making our bosses send out emails to everybody we work with to say what a great job we're doing. So we're not doing a great job. You guys are doing a great job listening to us. So thank you for making our bosses like us because that increases our chances of staying employed. But honestly, I mean, what what has happened with Buckeye Talk since we went to five days a week when the pandemic started, you know, we could be out here shouting into the void. Just because we talk into a microphone and scream doesn't mean anyone's going to listen. 
So what you guys have done going along for the ride here, um, people are noticing. And I hope we continue to grow. We are certainly having a good time doing it. I hope you guys are having a good time listening to it. But just from from Nathan, from Steven, and from me, um, it's it's all about what you guys are doing for us by choosing to make Buckeye Talk part of your day. So thank you so much for that as we continue to grow our humble little podcast. But for now, let's talk Josh Proctor, Drew Crispin, and Blake Hobbiel. That's coming next on Buckeye Talk. Safeties and specialists on this Ohio State position group breakdown. Steven, do you think that Josh Proctor would be a better punter or a better kicker? Oh, I'll go punter because he can at least try to do the Australian style where he's on the run and get a little momentum. I think Josh Proctor is like a cool customer. I could see him like stepping up and drilling like a 52-yard field goal in the last play of the game to win win a game for Ohio see, State. You didn't even go – like let's start with him making an extra point first. I believe in Josh Proctor, <laughs> doubter. Um, all right, so we're not going to actually jam the safeties and the specialists together like that, but we're going to do two separate position group breakdowns. But since they're – we kind of think they're only playing one safety. We'll get into that, whether they might play two. We're going to do, do two separate things because we do need to talk about Drew Christman and Blake Caulbeal and Rowan McCullough and the return game uh, somewhere on this. So let's do safety first because safety first. Um, not, not a lot on the roster because they don't necessarily need a lot, but you got Josh Proctor as a junior. You got Marcus Hooker as a redshirt sophomore, and then you got a bunch of young dudes. Uh, again, kind of weird recruiting in, in the secondary um, in the class of 2019. So you got Rodney Hickman and Bryson Shaw's red shirts out of that class, red shirt safeties. And then you got Lathan Ransom coming in in the class of 2020 as a true freshman. And that's it. And then Steven Jansen Dunn, uh, again, some of this, when a, when a secondary recruit comes in, do you exactly know if they're a corner or a safety? But we're kind of – Jansen Dunn certainly is a safety, at least for now, right, in the 2021 yeah, class? Yeah, that's been their conversation is that he's going to come in and play that one high safety position. So we've sort of talked about this along the way. Perhaps – and this is not – this is like no offense to anybody, but perhaps the the players that you – if you were trying to name all 50 – all 85 scholarship players on the roster, who would you forget? I think Bryson Shaw is a leading candidate for that. Um, ranked number 575 as a safety out of the Bullis School in Potomac, Maryland. Number 575 player in the class of 2019. And then Ronnie Hickman, this other kid uh, in 2019 as a safety. He's a top, top 125 national recruit. He's the number three player in New Jersey, the number 10 safety in the country. Uh, out of DePaul Catholic in New Jersey, New Jersey, Ronnie Hickman. We just haven't really talked much about either of them. So really what we end up talking about is Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker stepping in to replace Jordan Fuller. And so, Nathan, do you think at that spot, and again, they played one safety last year, do you think Ohio State will be better or worse at safety in 2020 compared to last year when Jordan Fuller made that spot? So I said worse. I don't think I feel super strongly about that. I just feel like you had Jordan Fuller as such a, so much stability. And then you had this, this talent in Proctor 
who you thought that if Jordan Fuller had the missed time or whatever, um, that you could put Proctor in there and that there was there was something that he could flash. And yeah, he was going to give some stuff up, but there would be he would also contribute some big things. It now you look at it this year. I don't know if you see the same stability in Proctor, and then I I don't know how much certainty I have behind him. So I, for me, it's just slightly worse. Steven? I think they'll be better, one, because the ceiling is higher, but also I think in the conversation we had on a previous podcast, Doug, you mentioned the fact that part of maybe why he gave up a 64-yard touchdown run in the Fiesta Bowl was he just didn't have the same number of – same amount of experience playing the position as Jordan Fuller had. Jordan Fuller played 746 snaps last year, while Josh Proctor played 123 of those snaps. So maybe some of that is just not being used to being in those situations where this year, if he's the starting team like we all believe him to be, he will have that type of experience going into the playoff, which raises his floor level and his ceiling level is already higher than what Jordan Fuller's is. So I'd say better. I'll say better also because Jordan Fuller was what he was and, and he was solid. Uh, but again, a late round NFL draft pick. I was actually a little surprised he went as high as he did. I think Josh Proctor is more athletic and we've just been waiting on Josh Proctor. I mean, I think if you, if you made a list of Ohio state fans, who's a guy that you're super, super excited for. You feel like you've just been waiting on. Um, not like what's wrong with this guy, but just like, man, I can't wait till this guy gets on the field. Uh, Josh Proctor is very high on that list. Uh, Steven, I think he might almost be number one on that list. Isn't there a – there's just an enthusiasm around this guy, isn't there? The, I mean, the Malik Hooker comparisons are out there, right? A guy who in his third year just takes off, but also what he actually can bring to the table from an athletics perspective. We saw him get interceptions last season. We saw the big hit in the Big Ten Championship game. There's just so much there's that is still out there for Josh Proctor to get, and the athleticism and the talent level that he has show, shows that he can do it. So, yeah. There's a Jordan Fuller is on the same kind of line as what JT Barrett and KJ Hill were, where it's very solid, but they were where they were. And the guy that's behind them might be better. Josh Proctor was Ohio State's 10th ranked recruit in the class of 2018, which again is just how good that class was. He was the number mm-hmm. 71 overall prospect in the country, and he was 10th in Ohio State's class. He was the number seven safety, the number two player in Oklahoma. When they got him, it was a big deal, a six foot two, hundred and ninety pound safety when he came in. It really was a big deal, and and I we've talked about. I just love talking about guys' paths. But Nathan, I, I think like then again, this is like almost a perfect path. You know, kind of came in, didn't do much as a freshman. He's a true backup as in year two is there. You know, and now in year three, the starter's gone. It's clearly his time. It's clearly his job. And yeah, he made some, he had a couple bad angles in the Fiesta Bowl that cost him. But again, they, they wound up putting a guy who had barely played a hundred snaps all year on the field in the Fiesta Bowl in really important spots. And so I think Josh Proctor will be steadier and more consistent in year three than he was at the end of year two in that Fiesta Bowl. But I just feel like Josh Proctor's on the path. Do you feel that? I think you're probably right. I think he probably is on the path. Um, but again, knowing what we know as of July 2nd, I know how solid Jordan Fuller was. I know that I, th- and I, I feel like that was maybe an underrated thing. 
with that defense last year, the step he took to kind of provide the safety net he did. Although well, we all wrote about it, and then you wrote about it, other people wrote about it. But I still think when you when you think about what stands out from that defense, it's not something that stands out. It was just a presence that was there that you could rely on that I think maybe didn't get the appreciation maybe that it deserved. So um, we'll see if if he takes the necessary steps to provide that. If he does, it's probably no brainer that, that it'll be a better situation in 2020. It's interesting because it's it's you know we're we're not the only people dropping the Malik Hooker name. Not I mean that's that's way out there. That's way out there um, because Malik Hooker was awesome here. But like from a talent standpoint, that's what you look at, and that's what you're maybe thinking about with Josh Proctor. But but the guy that came in and replaced Malik Hooker was Jordan Fuller, who was. Third team All Big Ten in 2017, second team All Big Ten in 2018, um, first team All Big Ten in 2019. He was a three-year starter. He was incredibly solid. He did his job, and again, Jeff Halfley praised him last year as that solid guy. He called him the eraser. He didn't make mistakes. He saved your defense from mistakes. But Malik Hooker's more of a playmaker, so people get excited for the playmaker, and people underrate the solid guy. But I think Malik Hooker, not that Malik Hooker made a ton of mistakes, but man, he was just rare. And so Jordan Fuller was never going to be Malik Hooker, and that's fine. And then what Jordan Fuller was was really good. But now it's like, oh, now there's another guy there who might be more like that old guy. And you had this three, really almost three years of Jordan Fuller where you just didn't have to think about him a ton because he just did his job. But I'm going to say better in 2020 just because I'm betting on upside. And I think Josh Proctor is on the path. I'm betting on upside. It's not a lack of appreciation for Jordan Fuller, but this is a place where when a guy's on a path and he's ready to go, sometimes it just flows and he's ready. And that's what my assumption with Josh Proctor is going to be until proven wrong. I think Jordan Fuller was – probably the perfect complement to obviously two guys who were first round draft picks and another guy in the slot who's probably a first round draft pick in 2019 being that eraser conservative more I'm just going to rack up tackles guy while with Josh Proctor it's yes he's all that but they probably to what we talked about on the cornerbacks podcast they probably are going to need that playmaking ability from him as well and and we can't forget also in this time, that's when they were still playing two safeties and there was an issue with yeah. Isaiah Pryor, who has since transferred to Notre Dame. Notre Dame Isaiah Pryor is a good enough player that he transferred to Notre Dame. He didn't transfer to the MAC. Brendan White played and then saw his position vanish in 2019. He transferred to Rutgers. When we did the Rutgers podcast, they're thinking Brendan White's going to be maybe the best player on Rutgers defense this year. So it's kind of a weird – some other things also happened to kind of open a path for Josh Proctor. You know, Isaiah Pryor, when he got here, was a big-time recruit. And then we saw some bad angles in 2018, and that was some of the defensive problems. They also had some coaching changes back there. Um, but it just – a lot of things have come together to make this Josh Proctor's year. Better in 2020, so we think – we have a disagreement on whether they'll be better last year or this year. Now, better this year or next year, Steven, and again, this is playing the guessing game of is there any chance Josh Proctor is a superstar and goes pro? You have to try to factor that into your answer, but 20 or 21 here. Yeah, and because of that, I have to say 20. Now, I'm probably a little more comfortable with what's behind Proctor 
with, you know, Lathan Ransom and then obviously, you know, Jansen Dunn in 2021 as well. You're, you're probably a little more comfortable with what's following him. But, yeah, if, if he turns out to be, you know, a guy who can turn himself into a first-round draft pick in one year, then, I mean, you're asking whoever is next to replace a first-round draft pick. And because you don't know, you have to say 2020. Nathan? I am saying 21 just because I'm not making the assumption yet that Josh Proctor jumps to the NFL. Um, obviously, if he does, I'm going to be wrong on both counts. But obviously, if he's back for 2021, they'll be better in 2021 because he'll be better, I think. Yeah, I won't quite make that assumption on Proctor. I think if I'm expecting a really good year, I think maybe it's still the kind of year where you can still prove something by coming back one more year and that I don't know that I'm expecting Josh Proctor to jump up and be a first or second round pick. Now, again, sometimes if you're a third round pick, it can make sense for you to go and start the clock in the NFL. But um, I'll still say 21, which is a final, a second year of starting for Josh Proctor. But also I think Marcus Hooker behind him. Again, what we saw very briefly in spring football, Marcus Hooker, Hooker looked like a player. And then Lathan Ransom is a really interesting guy. Number 167 overall player. Um, in the class of 2020, not one of the early enrollees. So one of these guys who, who has not had a chance to take part in any practices yet, but a kid out of Arizona, a number 11 uh, safety in the class was a big get for Ohio state and, and just, you know, seems like projects like a Josh Proctor type, maybe like a playmaker type, but I'll say Proctor is good, but not so good. He doesn't stick. And he has an even better year in 2021 biggest strength. What's the biggest strength of, of this safety position, Stephen? Uh, and that you think so Josh Proctor will be good is a fine answer. When we're basically talking about a one-person position. Yeah, that's a, that I think, yeah, that the, ups, the upside is the strength here, I think, at this point. And, yeah, yeah that's got it. The strength is Josh Proctor's upside. Nathan? Yeah, I mean, the, the the answer to strength was Proctor's upside. The answer to the biggest question is Proctor's downside. Yeah, which is a lazy answer, but, like, that's the only answer you can give when it's only if, one if, guy. If he's the one guy you're counting yeah. on, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that. And because we've seen both. We've seen mm-hmm. the maximum upside to him in some ways, like where he'll just make spectacular uh, taking the ball away plays. And if a guy can do that repeatedly throughout a season, you can give up some of the, the, the um, some of the mistakes and it, you'll still come out ahead. If he struggles to replicate that, I suppose, or if he, or if the the downside gets more exposed the more he's on the field, then I don't think that's the case. I think it starts to swing back into him being potential liability. That's why he's just got to be more consistent and more stable there this year. Yeah, every play can't be. You either got a pick or you gave up a forty yard touchdown. I'll I'll say the strength is that I believe in the backup also. Just again, what we saw a little bit in spring, Marcus Hooker, we talk a lot about Chris Olave being the third lowest rated guy in the class of 2018. And look at what Chris Olave has done. The lowest rated recruit in 2018 for Ohio State was Marcus Hooker. And when we talk about this 18 class, he's a guy that has done enough in practice to gain, so I think, some trust from the coaches. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he's in the same class as – Josh Proctor, who is rated 600 spots higher than him. But Hooker has ha- set himself up to be, you know, if, if Josh Proctor's a one-year starter and gone, then I think, you know, Marcus Hooker is ready, is there to have a shot to start in 2021. Or even if he sticks around for a fifth year to start in 2022. He's Malik's younger brother. Again, a little bit under the radar, but 
if something happened as much as everybody's excited about Josh Proctor, if something happened to Josh Proctor, it's, I don't think they'd be in a disaster zone. I think Marcus Hooker looks like he's ready to play some safety as well. So just a little bit of, for the fact that they're both new, it feels like there's two new guys that I'm okay with. And I think that is a strength. Biggest question, Steven. It's, it's what we said earlier. What, yeah. We're we're comfortable with who the options are, but what if you know they don't pop? And then and some of the things we saw last year, and the wor- the worst of what we saw last year is the reality of situations where it is whether it's Josh Proctor or Marcus Hooker back there at their best, they get an interception, but at their worst, they give up forty yard touchdowns because they got to the ball a little later than they should have. Nathan, yeah, and I already answered it before. Like the, the upside is the strength, the downside is the question. I'll say my question is how much they are going to play two safeties. And there have been some texters. And if you want to be a tech subscriber, try us out at 614-350-3315. People have sent this in. People have said other Ohio State beat writers are talking about this. They have a belief that Kerry Combs is going to go to a two safety look. You know, again, I think Ryan Day wants to play three corners and one safety. And I think most of the time when you're not playing Trevor Lawrence, that makes a lot of sense. I think they tried to adjust to two safeties a little bit late last year. And then again, you end up putting a guy in Josh Proctor on the field who hadn't played very much and putting him in some make or break situations. And it didn't work out real well for Ohio state. But as much as I believe in Proctor and hooker, like that's kind of it right now. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to go there, if you somehow said, yeah, we're going to play, we're going to play two safeties a lot. It's like, all right, well, who are your backups at the two safety spots? And it's like, it's either Ronnie Hickman, Bryson Shaw, or Lathan Ransom. And none, none of them have really ever played college football before. None of them have because Shaw and, Shaw and Hickman both redshirted and, and Ransom's a true freshman. So like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I guess Bryson Shaw has played six snaps according to the 11 Warriors snap count and Hickman didn't play any. So I don't even know if they have the personnel to be able to try to do that this season, if they want to go that direction. Um, so as much as we said, I don't know, could that be a solution if the corners don't work out? It's not like there's a ton of dudes. And this is where, you know, the Clark Phillips decommit hurt for the cornerback room. This is like where the Jordan battle decommit in 2018 hurt the safety room. He flipped to Bama. You know, there were some other guys that that's a room where there's multiple spots in the secondary where they were in on some dudes and they lost them. And you can feel a little bit of the gap. I think I might have the years off. Jaden Woodby, Jaden Woodbay was a flip in 18 that kind of hurt him at safety. He was a top, he was the number 35 player in the country. And then Jordan Battle was in 19. He's the number 43 overall player in the country. That's So that's two top 50 safeties in consecutive recruiting classes in 18 and 19 that decommit. And so you feel that a little bit because you feel Proctor and Hooker and then a lot of, I'm not sure. And if one of those guys, again, you know, they're, they're both Hooker and, and, uh, and Proctor, both 18 guys. If they would have gotten battle in 19 and he's sitting there, um, he'd be, he'd be playing. And then you could say, Oh, well, they're going to play some two safety looks with Proctor and battle. And that would make a lot of sense. So I'm just curious schematically, um, as they adjust, as they try to keep offenses off balance, how much they will go to that two safety look. And again, I think sometimes when it's Trevor Lawrence, maybe you want a little bit extra help deep to make sure you're not getting beat over the top. But 
you know, when when it's Dylan McCaffrey and Sean Clifford and Adrian Martinez and, you know, Big Ten quarterbacks, I don't I don't know that they're that worried about that. So I'm assuming still mostly single high safety. Crazy prediction. Steven, we'll start with you for the crazy prediction or thought about this group. I mean, about the one guy that, you know, I mean, it's the extreme crazy prediction is Josh, um, Josh Proctor is, you know, everything we think he is. And, you know, he does take a, a gigantic leap in year three. And contrary to how you guys feel that maybe he takes a small leap and then takes a bigger one in 2021, he takes all of that in 2020. And, you know, all of a sudden you're in a position where you're needing to replace him after 2020. Nathan, we did the who's going to lead the team in interceptions market down Monday podcast. And wasn't Proctor the overwhelming answer there? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you could go down a road of if you want to start attaching a number to how many picks, how many plays, how many interceptions this guy might have. Um, you could go down a road with him. What did you do for Proctor, for Proctor or some other safety? Yeah, that was my thing. It, uh, Proctor gets eight interceptions, something like that. Something that where, you know, he is, like Steven saying, he's everything that we expected and more. And he just has like such a ball hawk. What, what, what he's shown as like a, in, in flashes as being that guy who can go out and just take possessions away that when you put him on the field full time, that, that just explodes. Now it's going to be tougher because I don't think they're going to play 12 games as we talked about on a previous podcast, previous market down Monday. So that influences the number a little bit, but if they play a full season or in a, in a full playoff and he can go out and put up a number like that, then he's not around next year. Yeah. I don't know that I have a great one here. Cause I, I I'm not going to say I'm going to predict he's going to be an all American. Cause I think he's yeah, going to be uh, good, but not so good that he's out the door. Um, you know, so, so I think I pass pass. No, you can't pass. pass. What pass. Answer the question. That is some weak. That is weak. What? Pass. I'll make two crazy predictions about the specialists to make no, up for it. We, we, oh, okay. You can still do that, but that is chump town. I'll say. I'll say this. How about this? I'll say that Marcus Hooker makes people go, "Oh, look at that guy getting on the field one way or another." Whether it's when they do go two safeties, whether it's in blowouts in the second half, whether it's you know Josh Proctor needs a breather and they want to rotate a little bit. Mine will be that Marcus Hooker shows up as a guy who was a recruit in the 600s that shows up and looks like a player. And, and that all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Like we're, we're definitely fine. As much as Josh Proctor, this is his deal, we're okay if he wasn't here. So I'll, I'll predict Marcus Hooker opens eyes um, by getting, getting a shot on the field. All right, fine, fine. No pass. I get it. Um, who do we most want to see play? And I, I, I mean, I guess let's say you can't say Josh Proctor. Is there someone else who you're really interested in, Nathan, in this safety group? Lathan Ransom? Yeah, he's my pick too. Steven, yeah. isn't he like a really interesting kind of confident guy? You yeah, talked to him, he right? Yeah, he is a confident guy. And he, I understand he didn't enroll early, but he was talented enough too. It's just the school wouldn't let him do it. So I am interested to see a guy who wasn't here enroll – didn't enroll early and came in over the summer. Let's see where his progression is. And when he gets in and maybe some garbage time minutes, yeah, let's see how things look. Is he anything like what Josh Proctor would look like in second unit last season? I'm kind of excited about like the, the Lathan and legend show. Like I could see that oh. down the line in this secondary. Yes. Aren't they, Those are two guys who aren't, 
Are, right, Stephen? That neither of them are shy about. They are not meek individuals at all, and I don't think you can be with those types of names. But yeah, that that's that's a budding comedy movie waiting to happen. And I I love, and again, it's part of the. It's not even just the names; it's the position, right? I mean, if you're gonna yeah. be out exposed out in the world in the modern college football passing game, it helps if you have a little something behind it. And so I I am sort of looking forward to the time when it's it's Lathan Ransom and Legend Cavazos at corner and some of these young guys coming in and, and they're the next guys up because there have been, you know, guys, you know, Vaughn Bell is at the top of my list of just one of the most interesting, confident from the get-go, backed it up in every way, just an absolute difference maker and playmaker. Uh, and I just love that attitude from secondary guys. And so if Lathan Ransom's bringing that, I'm little- here for it. Yeah, if you don't talk a little bit of tra- – even if it's like how Jeff Okuda talks trash where it's offhand and just said something like, you should go back and look at the tape and then just like all, you know, brushes you away. If you don't have a little bit of trash talking you as a defensive back, I don't know if I can trust you on the field, honestly. Yeah, so I would like to see Lathan maybe get a chance again in some blowouts and stuff. And again, I, Ronnie Hickman was a big-time recruit. Ronnie Hickman's a top 50 recruit. Didn't play a snap last year and redshirted. I, I don't know. I don't know. Let, let's see what's up. I'm there for that too. I don't know. We don't want to forget about these guys, but but you know, if you had an injury, then it's it's hard sometimes. It's, you can get forgotten at a place like Ohio State, but then sometimes guys like that come back and are awesome. So, you know, maybe that happens for that guy too. Confidence level, Stephen. We'll start with you. Confidence level for the safeties. Eight. I think just that that ceiling is just so high that you know I'll go eight, especially with just one guy. Yeah, it really does affect it. It's just so simple of like, if you feel like, well, most of the time there's only going to be one guy in the field and the guy's pretty good. You know, on, on one hand, it feels weird to me to like have more confidence in the safeties than you do in the corners when Sean Wade's one of the corners, but you need three corners. So that's the issue. One safety, it feels like, yeah, they'll be okay. Nathan, what's your number? Because of Proctor's upside, I'll say seven and a half. Yeah, I'll say seven. I'll say seven. Again, I think the upside's good. I think the backup's good. I don't know. You know, it's not as high as I have in Justin Fields or as I have in, you know, the slot receivers with Garrett Wilson or the offensive line, but mm-hmm. I'm not worried about it, right? Like, is that – we is, you know, there is a little – just based on the Clemson thing that you think, is there a little boom bust with Josh Proctor? I don't know, but also young guys put in tough spots sometimes take bad angles. And I think he'll be ready. So I don't, I don't know that I have any real underlying worry about this group at all. Nathan, do you have any underlying worry, you know, based on what we saw or just the fact that he's young or just the fact, as you sort of talked about, you know, Jordan Fuller just did his job for three years. Does, is there creeping worry, even if it's 10%? I think if uh, 10% is a pretty small percentage i mean i i think if if josh proctor stays healthy and plays a full season i think all the tools are there for him to probably be what ohio state needs him to be i guess the the only worry is we we think marcus hooker's pretty good um but it, it then it kind of becomes that cornerback conversation like okay he can go out there he can capably play he's not gonna like embarrass himself but is he is it another hole in the defense if something goes wrong with safety and it, it if there's if is there an, is there another hole in the secondary that can't afford to have another hole? Yeah, I mean it is, and it's one of those things again. It's just the the sort of the recruiting decommits that I talked about earlier. It is 
it's a little more on edge than some positions just because there's some of the guys they, they thought were going to be here aren't here. So, um, all right. Those are our numbers. That's our breakdown on the safeties. Next up, the specialists. We got to do them. They're important. Specialists win and lose you games sometimes. Sometimes that's the difference. I mean, you know, go ask Michigan State if their field goal kicker mattered in 2015. That guy doing the, the windmill thing with his arm. That guy shanks that, that kick. Ohio State might be a mini dynasty. So, yeah, specialists matter. We'll be back next with that on Buckeye Talk. All right, so here we're doing the specialist breakdown. Guys on the roster, two seniors. Super interesting. I don't even know how, how often this happens. Blake Hall Beals, your senior kicker. Drew Chrisman is your senior punter. And they have a new long snapper. Liam McCullough was the long snapper for years here. His younger brother, Rowan, is next up at long snapper. He's not on scholarship now. Liam was a scholarship long snapper. Rowan may end up on scholarship at some point. Um, but right now he's not. But he's lined up to be the long snapper. I don't know we have to talk much more. You know, again, you notice your long snapper when he snaps it over your punter's head. Um with 15 seconds left and loses the game. But other than that, they just do their job. So we'll talk a little bit about the return game in a little bit. So you'll hear our thoughts on like Garrett Wilson as a punt returner, but we're going to focus on the punting and kicking mostly right now off the bat. Blake Hobbiel, Drew Crispin have the jobs. Jake Seibert is a walk-on kicker who will eventually be on scholarship. He's lined up next behind Hobbiel and then Jesse Murko, the punter from Australia who is in this 2021 class is lined up next behind Crispin. Just as we talk about Jesse Murko a little bit, Stephen, you've talked to him. What kind of confidence level do you think Ohio State should fans fans should have in that guy coming over in Australia to be Ohio State's punter in 2021? Yeah, Cam Johnson signed off on him, and we all saw what Cam Johnson did as Ohio State Buckeye here. He comes from that same academy, Pro Kick Australia out there. Um, he should have the same level of confidence. I'm not going to say how Drew Kisman because Drew Kisman is obviously a senior right now, but the, the punting is going to be in good hands for Ohio State. He sent me some clips of him punting. He's actually pretty good. And if you're coming from the same group of people who taught Cameron Johnson, who's now in the NFL, you know, as a punter and was one of the best punters Ohio State's had here, then, you know, you should expect the same type of development from him when he gets here. All right, specialists, better this year or last year? Nathan? This year. I mean, same guys. Um, should just be a year uh, more progressed. Steven? This year, but also because Drew Christman had some weird moments this year. While in 2018, to your point, Doug, he pretty much won the Ohio State-Michigan State game last year. Yeah, he wasn't quite as good at the end of last season. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. Same guys, and you expect them to be even better. And I know, you know, Hobbiel's been highly rated. I think Hobbiel's in contention up there with among the better kickers in the country, among the better NFL prospects among kickers in the country. So I'll say this year also. Nathan, better this year or next year? This year, just because I don't know much yet about these two guys they're going to be turning things over to. I think you always, um, unless you've got some real super hot shot, you're, you're going to be taking the, uh, the known over the unknown. Steven? This year because it's two seniors versus two freshmen. But you know, to the point, Jake Sieber, the number two kicker in the country. So these are solid guys coming in. But, yeah, you're trading two seniors for two freshmen. So it has to be this year. It's just kind of weird how, it, you know, Crispin redshirted, so they wound up matching up that they're both mm -hmm. seniors this year. And I think, you know, some of this is like Seibert is is a walk-on and he's not going to be on scholarship right away and Mirko's coming next year. But it's like I th they're getting a little bit off 
of it so that I think they won't have the kicker and the punter like in the same group every year. Cause that's the thing about Ohio state. These guys hold these jobs. Like you're come in, you don't want to waste like multiple scholarships on these, on these positions. So it's not like you have a punter and then you have a punter who's two years younger, who is like necessarily taking up a scholarship for two years. This is a lot of like, you're our kicker or punter for like three or four years. And then the new guy comes in and he's the guy right away. And that's how this works. So, so yeah, I mean, you're just going to have more questions in 2021 when you're losing both these guys, Nathan, what's the biggest strength of the specialists? You know, just fill in your um, cliched veteran adjective here, like grit or savvy or nerves of steel or whatever. Like, I, I feel like you just got two guys who've been through battles and they aren't going to probably wilt under the pressure. They're going to be ready for the moment when it comes. It's guys who should be confident in their abilities at this point. Just, you know, stable veterans who you think can probably deliver in a moment. Steve. I mean, Blake Hallbill hasn't missed an extra point yet. He made a 50-yard field goal last year, and Drew Chrisman's pretty solid, and he can flip bottles. He can. Drew Chrisman is – That's their biggest strength, actually, his ability to flip bottles. And, that, I mean, like, yeah, that his fame. He's as famous. Drew Chrisman is about as famous as a puncher can be, isn't he? Yeah. I think if you had the name, the top ten most famous Ohio State players on this roster right now, He's probably near the bottom of that list, but he might be on it. Maybe. Yeah, he might be on it. He might be on it, especially yeah, in the in the the social media uh, yeah. community, he might be on it. I, I will say, I think Hobiel is pretty good. He was thirteen of fifteen last year on field goals. He was uh, ten of thirteen the year before when he sort of took over for Sean Nurnberger um, in the middle of that season. And again, Sean, Mer- Sean Nuremberger had kind of like a weird career here. He was kind of in and out. He was injured a lot. They had walk-ons that had to come in and kind of replace him at times. Um, and I feel like Hobiel has settled that down a little bit. Um, again, I actually did a decent amount of, of puncher and kicker research on this. Ohio State has not had a first-team All-Big Ten kicker since Josh Houston in 2005. And we all go back. Everyone knows the legend of Mike Nugent. Mike Nugent's first team All Big Ten in 2004, and then Josh Houston, who had been here kind of behind him, got his one year shot to do it and was great. That was my first year on the beat. I never covered Nuge, but Josh Houston was really good. They have not had a first team All Big Ten kicker since then. The problem is they're not going to have one this year either, because Keith Duncan from Iowa, who was like a consensus first team All American last year. He was 29 of 34 on field goals. He made like 14 field goals over 40 yards. He's back at Iowa. So Blake Hobiel is kind of blocked. Blake Hobiel was a third team all Big Ten kicker last year. The second team guy graduated. But it's going to be tough for Blake Hobiel to get back, get past Keith Duncan this year. But but I think I think Blake Hobiel, and I don't know that I felt this like all along the way. Since Mike Nugent, you know, Ryan Pretorius was pretty good for a while. Aaron Petrie was pretty good for a while. Drew Basil was pretty good for a while. Nuremberger was a little iffy, but I think, I think Hobbeel, I think Hobbeel might be as good as anybody they've had. Hobbeel as a senior might be as good as anybody they've had in like 15 years. Which is major when you talk about the fact that you, you mentioned I was kicker kicking the ball 34 times. Hall Bill is not going to get 34 good attempts. 
just because this offense is so high powered and it scores touchdowns. So the fact that, you know, 13 of 15, you're making 13 of the 15 opportunity. He makes the most of the, op- the small amount of opportunities he gets. And, and again, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, Drew Basil made 16 out of 19 field goals in, in mm-hmm. 2011. That was pretty good. Drew Basil made nine out of 10 in 2013. They, they've had pretty good guys, but I just, that, that 50 yarder against Northwestern last year, I think showed you something. Um, and there are times, you know, I'm always, I've written a lot about this over the years. I'm always on edge about like, you know, does your team have a guy that can make a 46 yard field goal in the last play of the game to win your game? And you don't need it until you need it. And they just haven't, they haven't needed it all that much in the 15 years that I've been here. Um, but I think if they did need it, I think you would feel really good about Blake Hawbeal. This is a national championship contender. If the national championship comes down to a field goal, I think Ohio State will like their chances. And even at a place like Ohio State, I don't know that that's a given every single year. So I think that's important to feel good about your kicker. Biggest question, Steven. Uh, can, is Drew Chrisman going to bounce back to what he was in 2018, or is there going to come a point where he kind of gets a little wacky again? Nathan. I, I guess I, I just – can these be guys who um, – we, we know they're really they're really solid. Can they be guys who get into that echelon like you're talking about with the guy from Iowa? Like do they, do they become that like difference maker feared guy by another team as much as a kicker and punter can be? Yeah, because Ohio State's had that before. And I think it applies mostly to Chrisman here. And again, I did research, so I'm going to shove it down your throat. I found a rating on uh, Football Outsiders that they called it punting efficiency. Um, and it's, uh, I thought it was a very interesting stat. Punt efficiency is the average values generated per punt based on the field position of the punt team and the field position at the conclusion of the play. So it's better than just punting average. It's, I like it, right? It's like you're trying to sometimes – sometimes punt stats don't tell you where it's at. And Ohio State during a season will often have good stats that they provide about how often how, is Ohio State pinning people inside the 20 with their punts. And Drew Crispin at times has been really, 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 really good at that. Um, but I couldn't find that stat just sort of sitting out there because that's much more important than whether you average 41 yards per punt or 44 yards per punt is where is the opponent ending up with the ball. So this punt efficiency thing, which is basically about the field position game, here's where Ohio State has ranked over the years. And it's a credit. It's interesting. As much as Jim Trestle talked about punting all the time, Urban Meyer really perfected it with what they did. So this went back to 2007 was the first year of this stat on Football Outsiders. Ohio State in 2007, a punt efficiency was 14th in the country with A.J. Trapasso. 2008, their first, very first, with A.J. Trapasso, who, again, was a really good punter. 2009 with John Toma, their 45th. 2010 with Ben Buchanan, 113. 11, their 56th. 2012, their 117th with Buchanan, the last year of Buchanan. So 113, 56, 117. And then they, here, here comes the dominating era of Cam Johnston. Four-year punter at Ohio State, the last guy they got from Australia. 2013, they're 21st. 2014, they're 7th. 2015, they're 5th. 2016, they're 6th. They're in the top 10 three straight years, the last year of Cam Johnston, just as an absolute weapon. If you were an opponent, you were practically scared when Ohio State came out to punt. I've never seen a team be so in control when they were giving up the ball. 
because it felt like Cam Johnston could put the punt wherever he wanted it to go, and as soon as you caught it, Devin Smith was going to tackle you. And that's what it felt like all the time. 2017, they're 22nd with Chrisman. 2018, they're 10th. 2019, they're 10th. So all pretty good. But I do, I mean, very good. Top 10 the last two years with Drew Chrisman. I feel like it doesn't quite feel like that. And maybe it's the rugby style punting. Maybe it's some of the ways they aim for corners on stuff. Urban just emphasized special teams so much. I'm just, I would like Ohio State to get back to feeling dangerous when they punt the ball. And so I would like to see if Drew Chrisman as his fifth year senior in his final year, his fourth year of being the punter here, after being really, really good during his career and then maybe not being quite as good at the end of last year, can Drew Chrisman feel dangerous when Ohio State's giving up the ball? That's my question. I, I think he has the ability to do it, but I just think I, I just wonder about like Ryan Day and Matt Barnes as a special team coach. Can they raise that level of special teams again? Crazy prediction, you, Nathan. Well, you kind of already alluded to it, but that Drew Chrisman just becomes the most famous punter in the country. That like he starts – he does something on the football field that catches people's attention, some kind of a monster punt, some kind of a crucial punt that wins them in, you know, Penn's Oregon to win that game or something. I don't know. And then you combine that with his off the field stuff and he starts to just get some, some, some attraction that way. And, and now he becomes one of the personalities because there's some room for that on this team. Last year, you had Chase Young taking up a lot of oxygen. You had Jeff Okuda taking up a lot of oxygen. You obviously have a, a Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback, but this room that now some of those guys are gone and you've got space now for some personalities to step up kind of into the forefront and be the, the leading men, the faces of the team. And it's weird if a punter does it, but he seems to have the personality that that could work a little bit. So I want to answer. I kind of want to build on that because it's on the lines of what my crazy prediction was as well. Is there a scenario where say he has another game, like he did against Michigan state in 2018 and combine that with, you know, the personality he is and all the famous stuff where obviously Ohio state doesn't do a lot of campaigning for people, but could we see a world where if true Christman gets back to form and he has one of those games, Ohio state uses that game to start to build a Ray guy campaign off of true Christman. Yeah, I could see it. Right. I mean, because you just got to you got to tickle the fancy of voters. So if he puts up some huge stats and some huge punts and then you throw in all the other Drew Crispin stuff. Because with Chase, with Chase, all it took was the Wisconsin game for the rest of the world. to go. Hmm, Maybe he's a Heisman finalist. Maybe that's all it takes for Drew is one game where he pins a team back within its own 10 yard line four or five times. And he's already Drew Crispin in the personality. And next thing we know, the Ohio State football Twitter account is tweeting out a bunch of Ray Guy stuff for him. I could see it. I'll, I'll go. I'll go a step short of Ray Guy. I'll just say Drew Christman's first team All Big Ten. Cam Johnson was first big team All Big Ten as a punter in 2016. Uh, before that, the last one was B.J. Sander in 2003, and then Andy Groom in 2002 when Ohio State won the national championship in 2002. They had first team punter and first team kicker, All Big Ten. Um, let's expand a little bit here as we go go in the guy we most want to see play. I think we've covered um, the kicking and the punting as much as we can cover it. We said we will talk about the return game a little bit, unless there's something, I don't, you know, maybe we'll see Jake Seibert get to try a field goal at some point in a blowout or something. I don't know. But if you really want to say Jake Seibert or you really want to say someone else, say it, but this is also your chance to talk about return guys before we leave the specialist group. Who do you really want to see? Out of this group, Nathan. 
So we're not just talking punters and kickers now. I was going to say Mirko as, as, as far as the punters. I just I think that's an interesting guy. Yeah. Um, but I also, if we're talking about returners, I want to see Josh Proctor be a little bit more sure-handed than he was. Or not, not, not Josh Wilson. Proctor, Garrett Wilson. Oh, Garrett. A little more sure-handed than he was a year ago at this time. Or by the end of last season, even. Right. Steven. Yeah, the Garrett thing's short. I, I want to see who else they maybe throw back there because obviously Garrett and obviously DeMario, but they threw Jamison Williams back there for a punt last year and obviously he muffed it and so he never and he never got another opportunity. I'm interested to see whether it's him, whether it's a guy like Mookie Cooper, just anybody else that one game, if it's a blowout win and it's the third or fourth quarter, if they throw anybody else back there just to see what else they have and give someone an opportunity. And we do think that Demario McCall will probably be the main kick returner, but like nobody returns kicks anymore. And we saw them use Garrett Wilson there last year. You know, they kind of moved away. They moved from KJ Hill sort of toward Garrett Wilson. I wrote a whole gigantic column about, you know, the, the a little more boom bust with Garrett Wilson where KJ Hill, they were just putting him back there to catch the ball because he had good hands. I do wonder sometimes again, they put KJ back there, but they never were, were risking KJ physically because he really wasn't going to, you know, catch a ball in traffic and then put himself at, at risk of absorbing a huge hit, really. I just, it was, I don't think they wanted him to do that. Garrett, if you're going to put Garrett back there, you got to let him go, right? Otherwise, what's the point? But if he's also going to be one of your two best receivers, I'm just curious how they balance that. And it's always one of those things in a place like this. Over the years, I've been confused sometimes about who they put back there and who they don't. They always have fast dudes. You know, they don't really ever put defensive guys back there the way that, like, Jabril Peppers returned punts at Michigan. Like, they don't do that. Um, so I'll, I'm curious, like, if they decide, you know what? Like, Garrett Wilson is too important to this offense in 2020 and 2021. We'll put somebody else back there, either to just catch it and call for a fair catch, or we'll put somebody else back there who's got a little something to him but isn't so relied upon offensively, whether it's Jamison Williams or somebody else. So I, I just – I think they'll stick with Garrett Wilson, but I just I wonder if it's going to be a consideration or not. And so I, I want to see Garrett Wilson back there because I think he's exciting and I think it's worth the risk, I think. But I wonder if they'll do it or not. Do you guys wonder that at all? Like if they'll just pull the plug because they're going to try to throw the ball to this guy 80 times? I think there's a world where it's not every single time, but when it's clear that they see an opportunity to be aggressive, they may be throwing back there. But I would agree that I don't think he'll be their, like, only punt returner the entire season because he is that much more valuable because you have so much so much new in the wide receiver rotation this year. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I wondered the same thing, if they might find him to be too valuable. Not even so much that it's too valuable, but that he's going to get so many reps on offense that do you wonder about exposing him more as a punt returner um, to, to getting banged up or just um, just – you want him fresher on offense. So you have other talent. That's the other thing. This roster just always has so much athletic talent. Can you find someone else who doesn't get the offensive or defensive reps, but who can um, give you something plausibly solid out of that spot? All right. Total confidence, long snapper, punter, kicker, return game. What's our confidence level here, Nathan? Oh, I would say I go nine. I, again, I don't know what the if there's like some kind of massive upside to the guys that, to the specialists, but I, I, it could be there. And the stability, the 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 floor is pretty high. Steven? I mean, 
10, we know what we're getting out of the kicker and the punter. And at best, they have Garrett Wilson as a, re- a punt returner. And other than that, it's somebody back there fair catching. So 10. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else you'd want. Like you've got like you got two veteran dudes and a potentially dynamic guy. I mean, if it was, you know, if Ted Ginn Jr. was coming back as their punt returner, I guess they'd be an 11 yeah. out of 10, you know. But short of that, short of having the most dangerous punt returner in college football in the last 20 years, I think this is about as, as good as they can do with all this stuff. Um, I, but that includes Chrisman kind of being at his peak. And I just think in the end, again, I'm curious. I want to cover this quickly on the field goal. So I'll also say 10 because I just think, again, this is what you want. Last year, red zone conversion, Ohio State ranked tied for fourth in the country with LSU. For some reason, Oregon State led the country in touchdown percentage in the red zone. And Army and Navy were second and third. But among teams that got in the red zone a lot, LSU and Ohio State had the highest touchdown percentage. They scored touchdowns 78.67% of the time. They both scored – LSU did it in 15 games. Ohio State did it in 14 games. They both scored 59 touchdowns on 75 red zone trips. So on those trips, Ohio State had 59 touchdowns, eight field goals, and eight no times where they didn't score. So the field goal, it's like how much will the field goal kicker matter? Now, sometimes the field goal kicker really matters more when you don't even get in the red zone, when it's like, okay, now we got stopped at the, at the you know, 28-yard line, and now we're trying a, a 45-yard field goal. But that red zone touchdown percentage, 78.67%, do you guys think that will, it will be that high again? Or if they don't have J.K. Dobbins, and I don't know, like, is it possible the red zone touchdown percentage will go down, which means that maybe, you know, Blake Hobiel is trying a few more 34-yard field goals? Do you think there will be any drastic change in red zone touchdown conversion, Stephen? No, because your quarterback's still a run threat. So I don't think it go. I think it's about sim, as, as similar as it was in 2019, 2020, just because – Part of that is you know, Justin Fields can take off as well, and what you, which is what you didn't have in 2018 with Dwayne Haskins. Nathan? To me, it's even more that you've got the offensive line. I would think that that's maybe more of a reflection of red zone touchdown percentage in some ways, especially when you start talking about goal line touchdown percentage. Um, I put that on the offensive line. So they'll still be able to run the ball in those situations. And when you look at the field goal percentage in the red zone, it's crazy. You look at this. A team like Arizona, Arizona State led the country. They kicked field goals. At least they made them. But they made a field goal on 47% of their red zone trips last year. That means you're not scoring touchdowns. You don't want to kick that many field goals. Ohio State ranked 125th in field goal percentage in the red zone. What percent of your red zone trips ended with a made field goal? Ohio State was 125th in the country at 10.67%. Because they were getting in the in the in the end zone, they weren't kicking the field goals. So that I think is a just a reminder of even at a place like Ohio State, we don't talk about the specialists very much. But one of the reasons we don't is because like it just you know you got to make your extra points. But uh, you know congratulations, you made all your extra points. What you're supposed to do, they just don't need them that much because usually when they get close, they score. So that's our safety and specialist position group breakdown. 
again, we're having fun sort of getting all the names out here, going through the whole 85-man scholarship roster. We hope you guys are enjoying us uh, laying all this out. So keep listening to Buckeye Talk five days a week. Try cleveland.com slash OSU if you want to read with your eyeballs and not listen with your earballs to all this stuff. Drop the reviews. Try the text 614-350-3315 for Stephen and Nathan. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.